Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Man, Andy, just super, super appreciated what you had to share this morning. And uh, man, well, a lot of what Andy talked about has a lot to do with where our passage is heading this morning. And so, uh, in God's uh, timing and in His uh, figuring out how all things need to work together, I'm sure He did that. So, uh, this morning, um, we've uh, been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, for the past number of months, and we are kind of uh, nearing the end of that journey. We're in uh, chapter 5 out of chapter 6, and uh, last week we talked about the end of chapter 4, and we talked about how the, the, the fact that we have been, as Christians, as the, the fact that we've been adopted as God's children, um, that really changes who we are. And we said that because we've been adopted as God's children, that what's natural, what should should naturally come in response to that is that we should imitate our father, right? We said all kids imitate their parents, and I shared stories with you about my daughter Emma and some ridiculous ways that she does that. Um, and we said what's natural for us, what's natural for children is to look like their parents, is to imitate them. And so the Apostle Paul uses that kind of family language as he uh, calls the Ephesians into an imitation, into a, a following, a, a copying of their father. And we saw that that happened perfectly in and through the person work of Jesus. And we said that if we want to know what God is like and we want to know who he is and what it's like, then we always have to look to Jesus because it's in Jesus and in the gospel that God proves that he reveals who he is and what he's like. And so we said, last week we said, if we've been adopted as God's children and then in response we are to imitate our father and how we live, our lives actually matter. How we live actually matters because our lives reflect and they reveal the family that we're a part of. They reveal the Father that has adopted us. So this week as we uh, continue in chapter 5, Paul kind of continues along those same lines, but he approaches it in a different kind of angle. If last week we talked about how our lives reveal our family and our Father, then this week we talk not just about what our lives reveal, but about the purpose of that in many ways. See, this week I think Paul reminds the Ephesians, and he reminds us, that our new identity as children of God leads to changed lives that also change the lives of others. Our new identity as children of God changes our lives so that we would change the lives of others as well. And man, I just, that just ties so well into what Andy's talked about this morning. So let's dive into our passage as we uh, study Ephesians this morning, and uh, we'll read the passage and then uh, pray, and then we'll dive into God's Word together. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what's dis- what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it's said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks to God, the Father of everything, for in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God, thanks so much for your word. Thanks for our time together in it. Um, God, I just, man, I just feel like this week my, my heart and my brain I just, I just feels like have been all over the place. And, and so, God, as I come to preach your word, I just pray that you might like just uh, center my heart on you. God, I just like need your spirit to empower me that I might have anything worthwhile to say this morning. So, God, let your word be what guides us and fill me with your spirit so that I would speak it truthfully and healthfully. God, we love you. We love your word. We long to know you and to walk in light of you. Help us do that in your good name. Amen. Amen. Well, I closed last week by saying that uh, the changed lives that the Bible calls us to, they stem out of a new identity. And if we want our lives to look different, especially as we think about beginning a new year, right? Everybody has resolutions and they want things to be different. If we want our lives to actually look different, then the key to that is not just trying harder, but the key to that is embracing a new identity. And God's given us a new identity as children of his, and we are called to live in light of that. And what's important about understanding that and wrestling with that is that a new identity has everything to do with a new purpose. A new identity has everything to do with a new purpose. Um, in the Bible, God often changes people's names. And it's kind of like in some awkward situations, like he meets somebody and be like, hey, you got a new name, let's go. Right? And you're like, oh, okay, well that would be an awkward situation if someone just renamed you and then told you to follow them, right? But what's happening in, in those stories, right? Abram becomes Abraham, and that new name means that he would be the father of many nations, which he would become. And Saul becomes Paul, and he receives a new mission about proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. Simon becomes Peter. In all of these situations, God changes people's names. He changes their identity because he's giving them a new purpose. A new identity comes with a new purpose. It let Abraham and Paul know that they were destined for a new mission, a new purpose in life. And I think so it is with us. So the question is, what's the new mission, right? What's the new purpose? At the root of understanding that question, I think, is understanding the question of God's will, right? Which kind of feels like this ethereal, like, huge thing, like, what is the will of God, right? It sounds like something straight out of an Indiana Jones movie or something crazy like that, right? Well, there's twice in the passage, Paul talks about this idea of understanding the God's will, right? In verse 10, he says, find out what pleases the Lord. And it infers, like, find out what pleases the Lord. And then go ahead and do that, right? In verse 17, he goes on, he says, understand what the Lord's will is. Live as wise, not as unwise, Paul is saying, find out what God wants you to do. In which all of us are probably saying like, yeah, let's do that. How? How do you do that, right? I remember I spent uh, the better part of my sophomore year of college desperately trying to figure out God's will for my life. 
And for me, a lot of that search had to do uh, not necessarily with like a direction as a whole, but about what job I should have. What should my major be, God? What is my career path? Where am I headed? What am I supposed to do? And I felt like I looked everywhere for that answer. And if you look in the Bible, man, I did a lot of Google searches that year, right? Trying to figure out the answer. If you look in the Bible, what does the Bible say about God's will? It's never clear, right? It's never like follow step A, B, C, and D, then you will arrive at the answer, right? It's always something like uh, the man who knows the fear of the Lord will know the will of the Lord. You're like, well, what does that mean, right? It feels like in so many ways, like it's, it's, it's complicated, but I think what's actually happening is that it's very simple. See, I think a lot of times what happens is that we're looking for God's specific uh, plan of who and what and where and when and how of our lives. And rather, God's will, I think, has a lot more to do with the who he wants us to be than the how he wants us to do it. See, the Bible is incredibly clear about who God wants us to be. God wants us to look like his son, Jesus. We're his adopted kids, his family. He wants us to look like him. He wants us to look like his family, to reveal what he's like, to look like his son, Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I really do believe that God has specific things that he's called us to do, and places he wants us to be. Like, I wouldn't be here in Dubuque if, if that wasn't the case, right? But I just think what happens is so often we look for the details when what we rather need to do is look for the God that we're serving. We often get caught up in the specifics when rather God is saying, God's, God's longing for us, his will for us is that we would look like his son Jesus. That can happen in Dubuque. It can happen in Afghanistan, right? That can happen in Seattle of all places, right? It can happen anywhere. The bigger question is not the specifics of, of the who and what and why. It, it's the who God's longing for us to be. So who is that, right? We've talked about it. It's, it's God longs for us to be like his son Jesus. Kevin DeYoung in his book, Just Do Something, calls this God's will of desire. The will of God as his will of desire is the way things ought to be. His children living in obedience to his commands, walking in his ways, doing what pleases him. Jesus did this perfectly. You see, the Father literally speaks out loud at the commissioning of Jesus' ministry and says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. If we want to know what it looks like to please the Father, then we've got to look at Jesus. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus talks about himself this way. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here in verse 8, it says this, You were once darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live as children of light. God wants us to be caught up in the pursuit of his son, Jesus. He wants us to please him. And all kids want to please their parents. God longs that we would love to please him. So if that's what we long for, then what we pursue is Jesus. And we pursue lives that look like his and that are modeled after his and, and that seek the things that he sought. 
the passage seems to indicate that the approach we are to take in pursuing that is it's an all-in kind of approach. It's not, it's not like a when we have some spare time. It's not a, well, life is hard, so just like when you get around to it, like kind of work on it, you know, a little bit and, you know, try to kind of clean stuff up and, you know, try to just as you get there. No, it says, it says, have nothing to do with deeds of darkness in verse 11. Instead, expose them. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live. The invitation, the, the way we're supposed to pursue that kind of Christ-like life, it's like with a reckless abandon. It's an all-in kind of approach. It's a no-holds-barred, it's, it's an, with everything you have, pursue that. See, our lives matter because the way that we live reflects our family and our Father. Verse 15, it says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. There is an urgency to the command to live holy lives here. I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians have read uh, these verses and adopted uh, kind of a relationship with the world and society that looks a lot like doomsday preppers, right? The world is bad, it's getting worse, so just hunker down until Jesus comes back, right? Don't associate with people who are sinners. Don't associate with the world. Just kind of hide yourself off in a secluded kind of functional society, right? And keep your kids away from any evil or bad influences and make sure that you just live in this kind of sphere of protectedness. Don't contaminate yourself with the evil world. Just hole up and wait. I think what happens here is that fear is what's driving those kinds of actions and attitudes. What happens, I think, is they just, they forgot verse 13. Everything that is illuminated becomes then a light. See, verse 15 is not meant to scare us. Paul's not trying to scare the Ephesians. He's not trying to be like, the world is evil, so buckle up, right? No, he's saying, the world is dark It needs the light. You are the reflectors of that light. Let your light shine. The world needs to see the light. They need to see Jesus. They see him in you. You see, the moon doesn't actually emit its own light. Shock, right? Like science. It's just incredible, right? Try explaining that to a two-year-old. That's an incredibly difficult concept, right? But what happens with the moon, right, is the moon... It it really does give light to the earth. But what's happening is the moon is just reflecting the light of the sun. So it is with us. Our lives serve as a reflector of the true light. That's why it's so important for our lives to be clean, for them to be pure, for our lives to actually be holy. For a while, my folks were on a lighthouse kick And for a number of years of family vacations, it felt like we were just like traversing to every lighthouse in Wisconsin and the surrounding areas. And as a kid, you're like, yep, that's a lighthouse. Um, Look, there's some water. That was like the last lighthouse. There was water and then the lighthouse, right? So I don't know why. They were fascinated with it. It felt like we saw a thousand of them. And there was two things I learned about lighthouses. One, thank God for GPS. The lighthouse system is terrible, right? Um, And two, right? The main job of a lighthouse keeper was to keep the lighthouse clean. 
Every single day, the light keeper would clean the elements of the lens and the windows and all of the area that surrounded the light. And there's special lenses that are surrounding a very small little light that magnifies it and amplifies it and reflects it out many miles out to sea. If the lens or the glass is dirty, it dramatically hinders the light's ability to shine. It dramatically hinders it. That's why it was like the first job of the light keeper to keep that clean. There are the ships, they needed to see the light. Without the lighthouses, they would crash. There are countless stories of ships being destroyed and crashing on the rocks because the lighthouse was out or because it was dim. You see, I think it's the same way with our lives. The way we live matters because we want to be the best possible reflectors of the light that we've received. When our lives are covered in dirt and muck, when they're covered in like the mess of sin, then it's, it's really hard for us to reflect the light that we are intended to reflect. We don't have any light ourselves. We don't generate it. We reflect the light that we have received. It's a light that has saved us and a light that the world so desperately needs to see. In college, uh, God had put uh, a friend of mine um, really clearly on my heart. In a lot of ways, it was like, I have no idea why. And so I just started uh, hanging out with my friend Cody really regularly and playing video games and eating pizza. And I was just trying to be in his life because I had no idea what God was trying to do. And one night while uh, playing video games, God opened the door for a pretty amazing spiritual conversation that we had. And I got to share with my friend Cody about what God was doing in my life and about uh, his work in my story, which in so many ways was really similar to his. And I got to uh, invite my friend to investigate Jesus further with me over the course of the next few years. I'll never forget what Cody said to me at the end of the night. Uh, Before I was uh, about to leave, he said, Brandon, I felt like I could talk to you about this stuff because you're the first person I ever met that what you believed and the way that you lived matched. And I was blown away by that. My life had actually opened a door for the gospel to go forward in my friend, with my friend Cody. And I still needed to actually proclaim Jesus to him, to actually talk about the gospel with my friend Cody. But I never would have had that chance if, if my life was full of the darkness and sin and muck of the world. Now, um, man, Cody couldn't see everything in my life, right? <laughs> I'm not a perfect reflector of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination. But why I share that story is because the world sees what's different about the way that we live. It really does matter. It really is visible. One commentator says it this way, the conduct of the children of light will shine as a beacon to others, revealing their deeds for what they are. This doesn't imply that Christians should remain silent or fail to speak out against evil, but the particular point being made here is that living a godly lifestyle shows evil to be evil. I'm a photographer, right? Um, One of the things that all photographers do, or good photographers at least, is that they check the white balance of all of their photos, right? And when you take a picture, uh, you, you always look for something that is white in the image. It helps you figure out exactly um, 
how cool or warm the picture should be. And what almost always happens is that you look at an image and you think, yeah, that's definitely white. That, yeah, that for sure is white. And then you run the white balance process and you see, that was definitely not white, right? That was a really weird hue. There was total, there was blues or there was reds or there was all these kinds of differences in there. But you can never see it unless you compare it to what's really is white. You don't see what it should be until you see what it could be, right? I think that's so often what happens in the, in the role of our lives as followers of Jesus in a dark world. We live unto the Lord, a life that looks different than the world around us. Not because we think we're better than anyone, not because we, that is what like changes people, but because we long to show people what life should look like so that might, they might see the difference, so that they could see it. The passage says, don't have anything to do with the evil deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians have seen that as like a call to attack those who do deeds of darkness. And I think, rather, the passage is calling us not to shine light on like the evil of our world and directed at people, but rather that we would live as lights that shine brightly so that there's something for evil to be revealed by. Again, I want to remind us, this is not like a burden. It's not intended to be a heavy kind of weight. It's not duty. It's not obligation. We're not asked to live holy lives because if we don't, God will love us less. We're not asked to live holy lives because we're trying to keep tenuously keep this favor that somehow we've earned with God. We're, we're not called to live holy lives because we should be afraid of the consequences if we don't. Rather, we're called to live holy lives because we want to please a father that loved us when we lived in no way like him. So our lives are meant to be a response to the God who loved us greatly when we didn't earn it and didn't deserve it. And we want to give ourselves back to him that we might shine light on him as the best light of all. Last week we saw a number of ways that we're called to walk as children of light. Right? Don't lie. Instead, be people of the, who tell the truth. Don't steal. Instead, give generously. Don't use your words for evil. Instead, use them for good. Don't be ruled by anger and bitterness. Instead, forgive generously as you've been forgiven. Don't lust after sex. Instead, be thankful for the gift of sex within its bounds. Let's be honest, though. That stuff is really hard to do all the time. It's not like, a, oh, okay, well, that sounds easy. Let's just go ahead and do that, right? You look at those things and you think, that's hard to do all the time. I guess I would say, that's actually impossible to do all the time. It's really hard to live God's way. It's impossible without Him. We have a new identity. We have right motives in response to who He is. The question is how. We lack the power to do it, so how do we do it? I think verse 18 in our passage this morning really highlights the how, right? Verse 18 says this, Don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It seems like an odd contrast on the front, doesn't it? You're like, it seems like, don't be drunk with wine. You could just end there, right? 
But rather it goes on and it, it contrasts that. He says, instead of being filled with wine, it says, be filled with the Spirit. Why? See, the picture Paul is painting here is one of control. What will we be controlled by? We always say this, right? A person who is drunk is under the influence, right? Someone, certainly someone then who is a spirit-filled Christian would be under the influence of the Spirit, right? See, the how we live as children of light, the how we reject sin and darkness around us, the how is that we let God fill us with His Spirit and live His life through us. He is the power we need to live in a different kind of way. The Spirit is like the gas in our spiritual car, right? We're not going anywhere without Him. Your car's not going anywhere on an empty tank. And so the passage says, don't be filled with wine, rather be filled with the Spirit. Our tank needs to be full of Him if we hope to go anywhere. Now, I just want to make a distinction here as we talk about this idea of being filled with the Spirit. There is a distinct difference between being uh, receiving the Spirit of God or, or the, in, being, the Spirit of God indwelling us and the Spirit of God filling us. See, the indwelling of the Spirit of God is the entrance of the Spirit into our hearts. That happens when we become Christians, right? That happens at the moment of our conversion when we choose to follow Jesus and choose to accept his life as payment for our sins and put our faith in him. It's at that moment that we receive the Spirit of God. And the passage we've read earlier in Ephesians, right, says that our adoption is sealed with the Spirit. He's our guarantee of our inheritance. He's what shows that we're children of God, right? And so all who are Christians have the Spirit of God within them. The, the filling of the Spirit of God, though, is an ongoing submission to the empowering of the Spirit. It's an everyday kind of invitation. It's an everyday kind of question. What will you choose to be under the control of? Will it be spirits or the spirit, right? Will it be a pursuit of power or power from the spirit of God? What will we be under the control of? What will guide and direct who we are and where we go and what we do? Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11 says this, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the Spirit that lives in all of us who are Christians. That's really, that's a huge, huge deal, right? You don't have like a broken off kind of like weird little sh chunk or shard of the Spirit of God. You have the whole Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that empowered Jesus to live as he did and do what he did. The Spirit of God that Jesus had is the same Spirit that fills each and every one of us. I think what happens, uh, one of the pastors that I just am so grateful for, talks about how 
A lot of times we live with a functionally atheistic view of the Spirit of God. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, right? And we miss and we forget the role of the Spirit in our lives. Without the power of the Spirit, we have nothing. There's no way we have the power to live righteously unto the Lord. See, the gospel isn't just about us getting our sins forgiven. It's also about us receiving the power of the Spirit so that we could do everything Jesus commanded us to do. How do we overcome sin? How do we obey all of the things that are in God's Word? A lot of people think that the way that you do that is you just memorize all of the verses that tell you what you're supposed to do. And then when you're in the situation, you just remember that verse and you know what you're not supposed to do. And a lot of times what happens is they quote Jesus' battle with Satan, right? And his temptation with Satan. And they say, Jesus just, he quoted scripture, right? Um, The author of the book of Luke where that story is found would give you a different reason. See, the author of the book of Luke over and over and over again, Luke himself writes this, that Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He went empowered by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. Luke seems to believe that the way Jesus overcame sin wasn't just by quoting Scripture. It was by being filled with the Spirit of God. That matters because a lot of times I think what happens is we look at Jesus' life and say, he cheated, he was God. So, yeah, his life was perfect, but like, you know, there's an asterisk by that, right? It's like a, yeah, well, it, was, it was that way, but it was kind of like there was a little workaround or something. And I think we do ourselves a huge disservice when we think like that. The Bible says that Jesus gave up uh, his equality with God and rather submitted himself to be like a man. He didn't cheat, right, in living a perfect life. The way Jesus lived perfectly is that he chose every day to be filled with the Spirit of God. If we want to obey, if we want to live righteously, if we want to live in light of God's family and we want to reflect him, the only way that we do that is by being filled with the Spirit. I think as well, I just want to point out We can try to obey Jesus on our own effort without the Spirit. And that's rebellion and sin. Because at the root of that is saying, I don't need you to obey God, I will do it myself. That's at the root of our rebellion against God. We don't need you, God, we'll do it ourselves. And we wrap it up in this nice bow that's just like, I'll just try harder. That's how I'll please you, God. And God says, that doesn't please me. That's rebellion and sin. So the invitation is not for us to try harder and work better and just clean our lives up by effort and pulling our bootstraps up. Rather, the invitation is, submit to me that you'd be filled with the Spirit of God. I have the power you need to live the way I've called you to. We are to live as lights in a dark world, beacons, to a world. We cannot do that without the Spirit's power. Jesus' first instruction, his, his last words, right, before he left earth and returned to heaven, he said this, wait for the Spirit. That was the last instruction that he gave to his disciples. Wait 
for the Spirit. They had no shot of being the people he was calling them to be without the Spirit of God, and neither do we. I think a lot of times what happens in our following of Jesus is that we look at the Bible and we just wish there was like the Cliff Notes rule book sometimes, right? Can I just get the list of the stuff I'm not supposed to do and the stuff I am supposed to do? Can we just like Cliff Notes that so I can have the cheat sheet and then I'll just refer to that and we'll just work on it, right? I feel like a lot of times we just think like, that would just be easier, right? I think a lot of times that really manifests itself when we see people become Christians and what we try to do is just like teach them the rule book, right? Well, this is what you're supposed to do and this is what you're not supposed to do. So like, let's really make sure you're doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. There's no comprehensive list in the Bible. (laughs) There's no official list of what it looks like to live as God's children. There's many, many examples of what it looks like to do that and not to do that, right? But there's no comprehensive list. And my goal as your pastor is not to explain the rule book to you. That's not the purpose of God's word. It's not the purpose of the Bible, right? What I hope you see me do often is call us as a church to submit to the Spirit of God. See, the role of the Spirit of God is to convict us of sin and unrighteousness, to show us where our lives are out of line and out of step with Jesus, and to encourage us and and remind us and, and call us back in line with that. There will be times, as brothers and sisters in Christ, where we need to like call each other out, right? We need to speak the truths into each other's lives and call sin, sin, and call us back from rebellion and back into righteous living, right? There will absolutely be times like that. But I don't want you to learn to be dependent on me to know what's right and wrong. We need to learn to be dependent on the Spirit to know what's right and wrong. The Spirit of God living within us is the one who gives us direction, gives us clarity about where the Lord is leading and what it would look like to follow him into all those places. My heart is that we would learn to hear his voice and hear his leading, and we would learn to respond quickly to him. God's word gives us such great truth and gives us such light into into that pursuit. But the goal isn't to just check the things off the list of what's right and wrong. The goal is to pursue Jesus. The only way we pursue him is by being filled with his spirit so he might live in and through us. In closing this morning, our new identity as children of God leads to changed lives that change lives, right? We have been given a new identity, a new purpose, and the power that we need to actually live live it out My prayer for us, for our church, for my own heart, for yours, is that God would cause us to increasingly look like his son, Jesus. That like ongoingly, ever increasingly, our lives would be molded and shaped to resemble him. That we might be the best possible reflectors of his light and his glory that we could possibly be. My prayer is that we, God would cause us to be opposed to sin in every way in our lives. Not out of duty, not out of obligation, out of love for him. 
My prayer is that God would empower us with his spirit to live as lights in a dark world so that many might see the light of Jesus. What I long for us to sense in as we respond to God's word is like the incredible honor and privilege it is that we would get to reflect King Jesus. That we would see it not as a weight or a burden, but we would see it as like this incredible honor worth giving everything for. It's really hard to follow Jesus. Like anyone who has ever tried to do it for more than 30 seconds has realized that. It's hard to follow him. It's, it's hard to live holy lives. It really is. But it's so incredibly worth it. God adopted us when we were enemies of his. Chose to love us when we hated him. His redeeming and restoring and renewing love, it gives us new purpose and new identity. And the purpose is to make much of him. To reveal him as the best light of all, the goodness that all of us so desperately are longing for. God's word says that we do that. One of the, one of the best ways that we do that is when we live holy lives that reflect the God who saved us. That we would shine, our lives would shine as beacons of light, revealing what's good and what is evil so that people might see God for who he is and come running to him as the light that they need. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for who you are and all that you've done on our behalf. Thank you that you have loved us with an incredible, unrelenting kind of love. God, and thank you that you didn't just save us to kind of wait around until we kick the bucket, but you saved us for a purpose, God. Like an incredibly honored and privileged purpose that we might be your ambassadors. So God, we just, we just come before you and we just, we just acknowledge before you we don't have the power to do that on our own. And so we need you to fill us with your spirit. God, cause us every day to long to submit to you. God, teach us what it looks like to be filled with your spirit. Teach us how to pursue you and to pursue that every day. God, we long to be lights for you in a dark world. That others might see the glory of the light that you offer and come running to you. God, thank you for changing us and inviting us to be changers with you. Amen.